All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Here's your host, Frank Saravalli. What's up, everybody? It's a Friday, January 7th, 2022 edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. We're streaming live on dailyfaceoff.com as well as Twitter and YouTube. He is Scott Burnside, senior Daily Faceoff writer. Scott, how you doing? Great to have you back on the show. Great. I didn't even know that was my title. I, I feel better already. Yeah, so yeah, thank you. you are certainly senior, <laughs> even though I may look senior. So that's all good. <laughs> Uh, let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's dive in with 25 pure minutes of hockey talk. And I got to start with the Colorado Avalanche. What a machine, this team that we all thought heading into the season, true Stanley Cup contender, pummels the Winnipeg Jets on Thursday night by a 7-1 to one final. The Nathan McKinnon line accounting for five Goals. We see the abs that we, as we look at the central division standings, the first team in the West, or perhaps the only team at the moment right now with a 700 points percentage, they'd sort of be in the fifth or sixth spot in the East. That's how many teams are over 700. But Scott, my question to you is, are the abs begin to separate themselves from the rest of the West? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great point. And it, when you watch them, I think early on when they struggled a little bit, I think there were actually people who were like, is Jared Bednar in trouble in Colorado? Like, what's going to happen there? And then he got the I extension. Think we, yeah, that's right. Well, and then that's the kiss of death, right, for some coaches. But uh, And I think people were wondering, you know, it, is the goaltending good enough? Is it Stanley Cup caliber? And I think it's still fair you know, to ask about Darcy Comper. But he I, he's a solid, elite 
NHL goaltender. He's never played on a team as good as this one. So um, I think that's all starting to round into shape. And you've seen this team with Nazem Kadri really taking up uh, some of the burden early on when McKinnon was out and some of the other top players on that team. They're just so deep. The back end is fast and mobile. I, I, I'm curious to see what happens come playoff time because they did get pushed around in the playoffs last year. And, and you wonder if they've learned that kind of lesson um, for what it takes to win at, at that moment. And, and when you talk about separation, though, to me, I also look at Vegas, right? They're 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. Um, we're awaiting the arrival of Jack Eichel at some point. And, and for me, those two teams with Calgary falling off Edmonton. Um, I, I like what I like St. Louis and we're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford later, but to me, Vegas and Colorado have done what a lot of us thought they would probably do, which is to separate themselves in the West. And, and I don't think it's too early to wonder about a playoff matchup rematch rather at a Western conference final stage. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. I mean, I, I think what I'm fascinated by is how will Colorado gear up between now and the trade deadline? I'd have to think that there's a couple moves coming, and I still have some question marks about the goaltending. You saw Kemper and Francouz both go out for a period of time at the same time. The Avs can't fall into the same trap that they did in the bubble a couple years ago. Questions about Darcy Kemper and his ability to stay on the ice. When he's out there, seemingly no problem but I wouldn't be shocked to see the abs go out and get a goaltender. We'll keep an eye on that. And Scott, we all sort of marvel at the Tampa Bay lightning as it seems like a three peat is a more real and real possibility with this team. Nikita Kucherov comes back. It's just his fourth regular season game in the last uh, two plus seasons. And he goes out two points first game since October 16th. But for me, not all that much of an intrigue in the Tampa Bay Lightning rolling along. It's more about what we've learned about the Calgary Flames in the last number of weeks. They've had some significant measuring stick games, and they've been called out by their coach in Daryl Sutter, now 0 for 3 against Vegas, against Tampa, against Florida, now heading towards a fourth and final showdown on this trip with the Carolina Hurricanes, another beast of the East. Where do the Flames stack up at this point after these measuring stick games? Yeah, it's uh, two Western Canadian teams that started on fire and have really sort of settled back into, you know, sort of that middle ground. Of course, Edmonton being in much worse shape, uh, obviously, than Calgary. But I think it's been disappointing for Calgary fans who I think looked at that first third of the season and said, yeah, we are an elite team. We are a team that can challenge uh, Vegas, that we should be near the top of the Pacific standings, all those kinds of things. And, and Frank, I think your point's an excellent one. When you lose those sort of test games. And, and I know whether, they, you know, you don't have to worry about playing Tampa until you get to a Stanley Cup final or Florida or any of those teams, but they are important games to, to play. I think if you're a team like Calgary that has lots of talent, looks like it's built the right way, but has consistently disappointed when it's mattered most, um, you know, this I, it has to be worrisome for Brad Living, the GM there. It has to be worrisome for Daryl Sutter. And, and I wonder again, you know, if this is a moment where, okay, what's that leadership look like in that Calgary dressing room? And we know Johnny Gaudreau is having a great year. I think Daryl Sutter described him as one of the best 200-foot players in the NHL in the last few days. Pretty heady praise there. Uh, maybe he's looking for a hometown discount. I don't know. But it, it, to me, those are the guys, you know, whether it's Gaudreau or Monaghan. Okay, let's let's turn this around. But right now they look like the Flames we've seen the last three or four years. 
Yeah, Daryl Sutter, he throws around compliments like manhole covers. So when you hear him <laughs> say that about Johnny Gaudreau, certainly your eyebrows and your ears perk up. You go, hold on a second, was that real? And I, I think you also look at the way that he described the last few games as his team really not being good enough. Yet, yeah. I sort of take that away and say... That's Daryl Sutter's homework now for the rest of the year is how to get this team in a prime spot. They've done a really good job keeping the puck out of their net. They've scored more than most people would give them credit for or realize. How does Daryl Sutter begin to ratchet this team's play up to the point where they can compete with those teams in the playoffs? Because they tried to get in Florida and, and run and gun with that team, make it a track meet. They were ran over by the Florida Panthers, faster, more physical. And so we'll see how the Calgary Flames shape up over the next couple months. And what does Brad Tree Living have up his sleeve as we get to the deadline? Now, an interesting topic uh, set social media abuzz. Not that it's hard to do, but Elliot Friedman with <laughs> uh, some interesting information from the Winnipeg Jets that they floated to their season ticket holders on Thursday night. The idea of how would you feel about our team since there are significant capacity restrictions in the province of Manitoba about playing games at the Saskatel Center in Saskatoon, one province over? Uh, the Jets could become the team of the prairies, at least on a temporary basis. We find out today from Elliot Friedman that's not likely to happen. And my own reporting, uh, just touching base with the NHL, the Canadian teams as a whole don't have any sort of plan at the moment to be looking towards some. U.S. options in terms of parking yourself there temporarily to generate revenue. I think we've all been in this pandemic so long now that we're saying, okay, we we can't keep postponing games at this point because of revenue, but these are teams with $81.5 million payrolls. They need to pay the bills. So Scott, should teams be considering some temporary options? And since I know you like to get out there and, and visit the sites, where should a Canadian team park themselves for a little while? <laughs> I saw the Atlanta Thrashers uh, Twitter handle tweeted out that uh, that the arena here is available. So I don't know. It's uh, it'll come to Atlanta. I, I, I could be the uh, the new uh, Jets reporter uh, here in Atlanta. It'd be a nice circular kind of thing if they uh, posted <laughs> up here for the rest of the season. But I, I, you know what? I, I think it's a real dilemma for the NHL and the NHLPA because, as you point out, you know if you're if you're looking at a long term. Uh, situation where you are are down to a handful of fans or no fans at all, uh, it does it creates a, a kind of ripple or domino effect that you know could set the league back even further than it's already been set back. But you know, I looked at it today. I mean, Saskatoon's an eight-hour and twenty-one-minute drive away, and I know no one's suggesting that the Jets Nation on mass will drive to Saskatoon. But if I'm a Jets fan, and and the idea is that at some point we're going to get through this this latest um, outbreak and that that the the restrictions will be easing as the spring comes along. I think that's what we're all hoping. Um, I'd be a little bit annoyed if we games um, and all of a sudden at the end of the season, you know, we didn't, you know, we had an opportunity to watch those games, but they'd already been playing in Saskatoon. But um I do think everything has to be on the table and whether it's, you know, going to, you know, at one point we were talking about Arizona, San Jose went, had training camp, played games in Arizona because they couldn't play in San Jose. I think everything has to be on the table. And if it makes economic sense, i.e. puts more money in the NHL, NHLPA coffers, I have to believe everything will 
I'd love to see it. Remember back in the early nineties, we had all these neutral site games that were played. Like why not give, yeah. Yeah. But why not give, you know, Houston a run? Why not put a team in Kansas city for a few weeks, any place that has a modern new building that you could show it off. Like why not play a couple games in Hershey? It's a beautiful building. there, a strong uh, fan base for a long time in the AHL. I, like I could just think of so many different spots to park a team. You would sell out a 10,000 seat building every time in Hershey, no matter which team is playing there. They, there's just that base of hockey fans get creative, Find a way to create some revenue. Put a little bit back in some teams' pockets in addition to the overall pie, which players could really benefit from as well. It's a 50-50 split. We all know that. This week, Scott, we've kept a close eye. It's almost at the midseason point, but with some games and some light schedules at times with postponed games, we've kept an eye on the trophy watches. We've done the Hart, Norris, and Vezina. Today, we'll focus on the Calder. So give me your top five ballot as we hit almost the midseason mark in terms of the rookie of the year race. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on the Red Wings, <laughs> as you can see you can there. see that. Uh, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And, and for me, that's, to me, it's going to be the fascinating part, um, you know, as that you and I, you're the current PHWA president. I'm a former PHWA president. And I know the voters, you know, there's a real danger if you're a Red Wing fan that, that the vote's going to be split and it may be split more than one way. But for me, I had more Sider at number one. I see that you have Lucas Raymond, um, their the dynamic offensive player. But to, for me, um, Sider, is, he plays such a difficult position as a young defenseman. He plays it um, like a, a veteran player, and he's played against men for a number of years now. Uh, I just think what he's doing on both sides of the puck is so impressive. And he is that guy in Detroit. You know, maybe it's Victor Hedman-like. Pick any of your cornerstone defensemen moving forward. He's going to be such an important part of a Red Wing team that has, I think, exceeded expectations this season. Uh, so I liked him at uh, at one. And I had Nadalkovich um, in at number five uh, just to mix things up a little bit. I think the interesting part, you know, Lucas Raymond's going to get a lot of love because of his point production and such a dynamic player. To me, what it will be interesting is with Trevor Zegers, with the Ducks team that is in a playoff spot now, playing an important role there. Again, highlight reels, the dynamic there. Can he push Lucas Raymond at the top of that rookie scoring race? I don't know. But I do think, and I'm wondering what you think of this, but just the whole idea with so many potential candidates in Detroit, does it hurt them at the end when the vote comes down? Yeah, it might. And and I was actually asking myself that question. If you were to inject uh, some truth serum into Steve Eiserman, uh, I don't know. He seems so strong-willed. I don't know that he'd even answer. But um, wh- wh- who would he say is the more impactful player to this team? Who means more? Is it Cider or is it Raymond? And I just look at Lucas Raymond and his point production at even strength. And I feel like as many minutes as Cider plays, as important he is to that team, I don't know that the Red Wings are in this spot and a little bit more competitive than we thought without Raymond there. And by the way, Nadelkovic, I love that you gave him the number five spot. I wrestled hard uh, with that. It also feels a little bit wrong. I know that he's technically eligible, but the fact that he played so many games for the Hurricanes last year and was such a significant part of their run, 
that I'm like, man, it feels wrong that he's even getting rookie votes. I know that's not the spirit of the law and, and how it works, but uh, it does feel a little cheesy. And got to give a little love to Tanner Janot from the Nashville Predators, one of six players with 20-plus points this season. I love a guy that's uh, worked and earned it the hard way going through the ECHL. What a story, Tanner Janot in Nashville. Let's uh, stay in the Central Division and let's talk to Jeremy Rutherford for another edition of the All-32. Please now to be joined by Jeremy Rutherford, who covers the St. Louis Blues like a blanket for The Athletic. He's also written 100 St. Louis Blues things to know and do before you die, the Stanley Cup version. Jeremy Rutherford, of course, on the scene for the Blues Stanley Cup win in 2019. And got to start here for a team that's been cruising along in the Central Division, Jeremy. The big revelation, I think, for everyone around the league is Jordan Cairo and the season that he's having. He's just a couple points away from besting last year's total. Uh, eight points in his last three games. Now, when you look at Cairo's game, what do you see that's enabled him to take the next step in his career? Yeah, Frank, they're calling him Ruzi at the rink. That's his nickname, of course, uh, with the teammates. You know, I've liked Jordan Cairo for a couple of years. I think uh, what, what sticks out about him this year is his poise with the puck. He's got the speed. He can turn on the jets. He can get past uh, split defensemen. He can do it all. But I think when he's got the puck, he doesn't always rush it. Sometimes he'll sit back and, and wait and find the hole, find a teammate. Uh, his assists are up. He's playing very well. This is a guy who spent extra time in the minor leagues. They sent him back to San Antonio. He played in the American Hockey League. They wanted him to be more responsible defensively, just like you do with all young players, especially skilled guys. He went down and did that. He came back. He's an all-around all player, um, and I think that's leading to his offensive production shining this season. Yeah. Jeremy, I got to tell you, first of all, hosted one of the all-time great Stanley Cup uh, final parties at your house. Very gracious host that you are. But I, I got to tell you, at the start of the season, I talked to a couple other uh, scouts and GMs, and, and there were a lot of people who maybe wondered if Craig Berube might be on thin ice. Uh, the team had looked pretty flat the last two playoff years, obviously coming off the Cup win in 19, and, and looked like a team that may have you know, sort of lost its way. And yet uh, through COVID and injuries, this team has been so impressive. And I wonder, are you seeing anything different on regarding how Craig Berube is handling things, how he approaches his game plan or his team? But boy, it's certainly been impressive from the coaching standpoint, I think. Yeah, it really has. And there's a lot of coaches around the league, Scotty, I think doing a really good job with COVID and, and not knowing their lineup until they get to the rink on some nights. But you're right. I think Craig Bruby was on, uh, you know, quote unquote, the hot seat. You lost in six games to Vancouver in the playoffs a couple of years ago, swept by Colorado in the playoffs last year. You know, not uh, very good playoff showings the past two seasons, even though they've been a pretty good regular season team. The big picture question here in St. Louis was, was Doug Armstrong putting the type of roster together that Craig Berube could win with? We all know from 2019, you know, that was a big team. Finished their checks, played hard. That's Craig Berube style. He had the players. But I think Doug Armstrong the past couple of years, especially with his uh, scouting department, bringing in the Jordan Kairos, those types of players, you know, it's more of a rush team with some of these players. And I think, can Craig Berube coach that style? I think he's shown that he can. And I think it's a misconception about Craig Berube. Some people say that he doesn't like the young players. He doesn't like the rush guys. You know, he wants to 
and get the puck deep and and finish the forechecks. Uh, but he's willing to adapt. He'll he'll work with whatever players can make the team successful. At the time, the past couple of years, some of those younger guys weren't doing what they needed to do. I think they're doing that this year. So Craig Ruby, uh, like I said, just like a lot of other coaches around the league, had no idea what the lineup's going to be on some nights. They were popping guys like Justin uh, Falk, uh, positive on COVID tests right before the warmups. And he had to adjust and put somebody in there. He's done a magnificent job. I think this coaching staff should be off whatever hot seat we considered them to be on earlier. Yeah, speaking of an adjustment, I think it feels like, Jeremy, there's been a, an adjustment in temperament, at least from, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko has handled this all like a pro, you know, given the trade request that was out there in the summer. He's come in and played extremely well back to the level that he was at prior to his injuries, certainly the botch sur- uh, surgeries that had come along with the St. Louis Blues in that tenure. We're 74 days away from the NHL's trade deadline. I took him off our trade targets board because I just don't see the Blues with the run that they're on being willing to move a Tarasenko and decrease their team's chances. Where do you think things stand between Tarasenko and the Blues at this point in terms of that relationship? Has it been mended? Is there a long-term future in St. Louis for Tarasenko? Uh, Frank, the way I understand it, and this is going back a few weeks, is that the trade request still stands. But I think right now it's on the back burner. I, I think the Blues realize that he's playing well. They're a better team with him and they'll revisit it in the offseason is the way I, I see it. Also, you have a situation where, you know, teams that are contending and are contending for a cap uh, Stanley Cup right now, they have cap implications themselves. Right. So how do you bring on a, a player seven point five million you know, halfway through the season, right up before the trade deadline. I don't think it's possible. So I think it's best for all parties to wait until the off season. At that point, will Vladimir Tarasenko change his mind? I can tell you that uh, even though, you know, the, the people that I spoke with in the off season were adamant that he wanted out, there's been a bit of a culture change here, uh, Frank. You have a situation where Pavel Buchnevich was brought in. Ivan Barbashev is one of his uh, good friends. You have Klim Kostin. There's a large Russian contingent. And I've never seen Vladimir Tarasenko smile as much. He has a lot of these guys over to uh, his house on the off days. And, and and so I think he's having fun. Now, does that change his mind? Does that mean he doesn't want to go somewhere in the offseason? I don't know. All I know is that it has worked out the best for all parties. He's playing well. The Blues have increased his value with the way he's played in terms of whether they want to move him or not. I think they'll get more than they would have last offseason. And in the meantime, you know, it has not been a distraction with the teammates. Yeah, Tarasenko has been good for the Blues. He's been good for himself in terms of increasing that trade value. If he does one out and the Russian four, as you mentioned, comprise three of the top four St. Louis Blues scorers at this point in the season. Thank you to Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic for joining us today. This has been another edition of the All 32. of the day hit us up on twitter hashtag ask dfo we'd be happy to answer your questions and social media was alight again with the consternation and debate about the trent frederick hit on kiro kaprizov in last night's game between the boston bruins and the minnesota wild you hear dean evison after the game saying it's a predatory hit bruce cassidy of course disagreeing from the bruins angle where do you stand? Should Trent Frederick be suspended for his hit on Kaprizov? 
Well, I like to think of myself as a Judge Roy Bean of these kinds of commentaries. I'm like suspend them all. Like I, it, <laughs> and, and whether I know Mark Messier said in the intermission last night, oh, it didn't, you know, the intent wasn't there. I'm not sure how you can tell that from far away. To me, he's in a vulnerable position. He's hit blindside or pretty close from behind. Uh, again, hard into the boards. I just I hate those hits I, and the fact that it's the Wild's best player and he leaves the game. I just think that that is the kind of stuff that, man, if you could swing a wand and take those kinds of hits out of the game, the the fans would love it. Um, I'd say suspend him for one just for because and maybe two, uh, but I didn't like the hit and I'm all for suspending players willy-nilly. I don't care. That's, That's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair take. The only thing is I'm not sure that that's, oh, I know that's how the Department of Player Safety doesn't operate. So in this case, when I look at this hit and you break it down, you say with Kaprizov tangled with Grizzlick there, what, clearly he was a defenseless player. Did Trent Frederick have enough time to stop and and really hold up on the hit? I watch it and I'm not sure that that's the case. I don't think that he, um, you know, I think you look at the force that he goes into Kaprizov with. Yes, it was heavy, but it wasn't the full force. And so, um, you know, to me, the fact that he also gets uh, Kaprizov from the side and not from behind, as I see it, I don't think this warrants a suspension. We'll see what the Department of Player Safety decides, certainly right on the edge or borderline and could see it going either way. Not to be Pollyannish about the conversation, but I just think there's a lot of gray area when it comes to that. Let's bring in Tyler Uremchuk now for our daily face-off, daily bets. How'd you do last night, Tyler? Ah, it was an even night, actually. So we missed on the Florida and regulation, but we nailed the Jack Hughes assist. In fact, he picked up two of them to make sure he got it for me. Uh, and that was even money. So lost our money on one, doubled our money on the other. My record on the year now, as you can see at the bottom, 71, 49 and three. We are up 14.9 units. That's really a mark I've been hovering around now for almost a month. I've been betting 500 for a bit. So looking to get on a bit of a heater and let's jump into it. Courtesy of our friends at points bet that top matchup is the one i'm eyeing up calgary and carolina to take on the canes and i am rolling with the under in this hockey game it is the favorite of the two at minus 121 and this one really all comes down to the goaltending matchup for me freddie anderson is listed as the likely starter for carolina he's only allowed eight goals in his last five starts that should go a long way in helping the under hit tonight. And for Markstrom, yes, he's allowed 17 goals in his last five. That's not great by any means. But the other thing I'm looking at, Calgary's playing in back-to-backs. Their offense has really struggled recently. And so far this year in their back-to-back games, in the second half, the under's 2-1-1. One, and one. So I think there's a little bit of precedent here for Calgary to play a really tight checking game, and there won't be a lot of goals. And the goaltending matchup's a big part of it for me as well. So I'm going under in Carolina-Calgary. And then in the other matchup, I'm going with the assist prop. It's Pavel Buchnevich. Now, he's only got 19 apples on the year, but as of late, he's really turned into an assist machine. Seven assists in his last five games. He's hit this mark in seven of his last 10 as well. So I think plus 125 is good enough, and it's a plus money Friday, so you got to get a little risky. Buchnevich, apple, plus 125, and those are my two plays, Frank. Only 19 assists this year for Buchnevich. Come on, give him some slack. He's been one of the best players on the St. Louis Blues. What an acquisition by Doug Armstrong and Tyler. We'll see how it all shakes out. Merry Ukrainian Christmas to you as hey, well. Hey, thank you. 
And so let's get to my favorite segment of the show, and that would be garbage time. Scott, there's been a lot of talk about the Arizona Coyotes this year, probably for all the wrong reasons. Kind of impressive that we're even talking about them at all, given the fact that they've won seven out of 32 games played. Kind of hard to do in today's NHL. But what's caught your eye about the Arizona Coyotes now? Well, it, it really is an interesting dynamic as we talk about Jacob Chitron, the fine young defenseman. I will say I was so confused by this whole notion that he might be on the block and what was going to happen to the 23-year-old. I reached out to my friend and former colleague, Craig Morgan, gophxn.com. So I got to give Craig some props. We had a good chat about you know the dynamic there. And to me, and I know, Frank, he was near the top of your trade list. And for a guy that has everything you would want. He's 23. He's making $4.6 million against the cap through 24-25. Why would you ever trade that player? As soon as you trade him, aren't you immediately looking for a guy to replace him on your roster who does all the things that he does? So I'm curious about that, but I really, I, I think that what is going to be so interesting is what what do teams come to Bill Armstrong, the GM in Arizona, with? And it has to be the absolute king's ransom. I go back to the kinds of, of uh, demands that uh, Kevin Adams was making in Buffalo for Jack Eichel in the offseason, multiple first-round picks, NHL-ready players, players that can grow into you know a team in Arizona that has really been torn down or will be continue to be torn down to the studs. But it has to be the right deal. And if you're trying to curry favor or trying to keep your dwindling fan base engaged, I think you have to be so careful about what you do with a player like Jacob Chitron. And and maybe he needs to go somewhere else. Maybe you give him an opportunity to play and and, and show his talents on a contender or a, a, a team that has a chance like the New York Islanders or any other of the 31 teams that could use a defenseman like that. But I think that Bill Armstrong holds all the cards here. He doesn't have to move Chitron, but will he? That, to me, is going to be an interesting thing as we head towards a trade deadline and perhaps even into the offseason because this is the kind of move, if you do make it, you absolutely cannot miss if this team is ever going to be relevant again in the, Z in the desert or wherever they end up playing hockey. But I am really curious about Jacob Chitron and what happens to him moving forward. Yeah, Scott, I've been saying for so long now, since his name has been out there, the Coyotes could use like six Jacob Chickrens, not zero. I don't, <laughs> at a certain point, you can't just be all draft picks. They've got a ton of them. We know that they're going to miss on some of them. That's just the nature of the NHL draft. And I appreciate how many that they've stockpiled, but at some point you need to build it back up again. And at 23, soon to be 24 with all that term on his deal, you need some foundational pieces. And if not Jacob Chickren, then who? So that's the question I think Bill Armstrong is left with. I understand why he has to answer the phone. I don't necessarily understand why he'd have to make a deal. So that, uh, that'll do it for Garbage Time and our show. It's been a jam-packed edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. So glad to have Scott Burnside back in the chair alongside for the run. That'll do it for this week as well. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com over the weekend for all the latest news, information, and insight from around the National Hockey League. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.